Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGurra, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Chris Rag and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing, is Gavin Williamson really that bad? Is Gavin Williamson really that bad? Well, uh, if you um, if you sort of base it on decision... I think, sorry to interrupt. I think, yeah. first of all, um, we need to say who he is for listeners who might not be familiar okay. with him. Well, if they, yeah. but if they've listened to our if podcast... If they listen to us, they'll definitely know who he is. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's the official MP of, uh, of, uh, of yeah. the Cognitive Engineering yeah. Podcast. So Gavin Williamson is currently the Secretary of State for Education in the UK. Um, he was previously Secretary of State for Defence, um, mm. and I think he was Chief Whip as well uh, uh, previously. And he's a, um, a, a Conservative uh, Member of Parliament. Um, and but he's so much more as well. He's well, so I much mean, more I think as we well. previously mentioned him, haven't we, on on the podcast about how to spot liars? We have previously mentioned him. Yeah, in relation, I think first of all we mentioned him when he was uh, in Defence. Um, mm. And it was about the Hawaii uh, um, leak, leak basically, right. the discussion that that was being had behind closed doors. And then he was effectively um, uh, fingered for for leaking this this sensitive information. Um, but then we also talked about him for the, the other memorable thing he oversaw, which was um, the uh, British exam algorithm debacle oh, where right, yeah. GCSEs debacle, and A-levels. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, but we also, we actually did also mention him in the context of taking taking credit for other people's achievements. That's right. He, he said Britain was the best country yeah. in the world. So so he's he's featured heavily. And and now the thing that really sort of brought this, uh, brought this um, forward was that um, literally the day before primary schools were due to go back uh, in the UK after the Christmas holidays, the day before, um, he, he oversaw the decision to announce that they weren't going to go back after all. So they'd had the entire Christmas holidays. Everybody had been telling them it probably wasn't a great idea. And then they, it was literally Sunday, Sunday evening that they that they announced this with you know, all the schools sitting there expecting to have children turn up on the I on the think Monday. it's worse than that. He did it. I, I could be wrong because two of my children are in front. It's on the actual day that they did start back. Oh, yeah, you're right. Evening. You're right. No, the, to add to the um, uh, to the, the, the excitement, yes, they all went back for a day first, gave one another COVID, and then went back home again. So, um, so yeah, no, it's, it's, um, you're right. It's, it's, it's even better than that. So this got me thinking, and, you know, he was again, pilloried in the, in the post for, for uh, in the press for all of this. Um, and, um, this got me thinking about, you know, is, is he individually that, that incompetent, you know, and first of all, are all these things his fault? And secondly, is has he been making as bad, uh, you know, a, a poor set of decisions as it appears that he would have been doing at first first glance? Because I kind of refuse to believe that um, he is as bad as he's made out to be in in certain parts of of, of the of the press, including mm. this podcast. <laughs> yeah, what what is you know 
I mean, we'll talk more broadly about, you know, things like responsibilities for decisions and, and what you're accountable for and so on. But, but in the first instance, Gavin Williamson, discuss. One thing, one of my favorite sort of facts about um, Gavin Williamson, which I know we've mentioned before, but I think it deserves mentioning again, is wasn't it when he was chief whip, he didn't have a tarantula in a, in a, in a tarantularium yeah. or something. And can you tell us about that? What was that all about? Well, well why, like, essentially, yeah, he was chief whip, which is sort of, you know, considered to be the, um, the, the position which requires the most um, politicking with a, with a small p. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and so there's this sense that he saw himself as, as, uh, kind of Frank Underhill, but that actually, uh, he's Frank Spencer. Um, <laughs> and so he, he, he kept this, this kind of, um, uh, this tarantula on his desk as a, as a sign, uh, sort of to intimidate, you know, people. So was it a real tarantula? It was a real tarantula. Yeah, a stuffed yeah. one. Yeah. No, a real tarantula. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, something that reminds that, that springs to mind. I, there was a there's a there was a UN um, diplomat died recently. Was it Brian Urquhart? I think. Um, and um, one of the things he talked about, I think, it was in reference to one of the um, one of the uh, presidents of the United Nations. And he taught the phrases along the lines of, you know, ambitious mediocrity, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, I, th I think this is this is this is it. I mean, I'm trying. So, you know, because there's a counter narrative to all of this. Right. Because he, he get like the I, I think there are a few things going on, but I think there's there's a definite degree of classism going on. Right. That the, the upper middle class left have always had it in for lower middle class Tories. Uh, and if they're Northern, that's even worse. They, you know, man. Yeah. They, exactly. They see it as a massive betrayal, you know, when they all sort of went over to Thatcher in the, in the 80s, you know, they've hated them ever since. And so they're, they're, there's, he, he fits all of those kinds of bills. You know, a lot, a lot of what is said about him is, is kind of sneering in tone. Um, yeah, and, and famously, also, he used to be a fireplace salesman. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. And um, you know, so he's got this sort of um, fairly, you know, his his his, uh, his dad was a local government worker. His his mom, uh, Beverly, worked in a in a job centre. So there's, you, you know, it's he's he he wasn't he wasn't poor, but he wasn't rich. There's something it's just, hard to think of a, a job which is more designed to incite snobbery than being a fireplace salesman. Yeah, no, exactly. It's so very specific. About that. Yeah. It's, it's the sort of thing that George Grossmith would have would have made one of his comic characters a fireplace salesman. There's just something comedic about it. It's perfect. There is. And I think there's something of, of the Richard Nixon about him, not in terms of, you know, necessarily his personality or anything, but, but the way Nixon was, you know, widely sort of um, sneered at throughout his his career uh so so yeah so i think there's there's that kind of thing going on um and but then i i also think there's this issue of like well what what can you be expected to um to be responsible for if you are a minister what is it, what is it sensible to imagine that you could have affected and you know why is it that ministers do or don't take responsibility for for mm. different um, decisions. So now might be the time to delve into the British Constitution. Quite. I think I think it's an apt moment. Go for it, Nick. The um so in, in Britain there is this widely bandied about concept of ministerial um accountability to Parliament and ministerial responsibility. Um which in modern times it, by British constitutional standards, uh, i.e. since the nineteen fifties, um has been that 
ministers are sort of the default setting is that you're responsible for things your department does, regardless of whether you knew about them or um, or indeed, you know, could be expected to know about them. Um, apparently, this arises from a fairly major scandal. Uh, I, I mean, I and I'm going to talk about the crickle down affair now. Is it crickle down? I thought it might be critchell down. Yeah, well, it's in Dorset, so it could be anything, frankly. Um, yes. So I didn't know anything about. I mean, I vaguely heard of it, but yes. Yeah, so this Thomas Dugdale, who was the Minister of Agriculture, um, resigned, uh, even though it was known that the the things. I mean, the, the, essentially, it was this piece of land. There was a piece of land that the government sort of borrowed during the Second World War and promised to give back, but they didn't give it back. They instead they leased it out and and made money from it. And there was there were various ro- mis you know misdeeds, wrongdoings, cover ups by the by the civil servants who were in the department. Um, but old Dugdale um, bravely fell on the sword himself, and and so this is sort of re- regarded to be you know setting the precedent essentially. However, it's not actually the case that there's a default setting that ministers will resign just like everything else in the british constitution it's really just made up at the time but there's you know are, can they account for what happened um are they going to remedy it have they said sorry and not just said sorry fraser but meant it and um all of those things come into play when when um you know when when sort of a, a minister is is basically made made to resign or, or chooses to um so um so that i th- i mean that that's the that's sort of the again calling it a rule in the british constitution is misleading that's the source of you know the 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 commonly cited precedent and the and the concept being that we know we don't expect ministers to know um you know it, the ministry of defence has got something like you know 70 80,000 civil servants working in it quite apart from all the members of the armed forces it's, yeah, it's, i think in totality know, it's about it's close to 200,000 people across the yeah it's about 60,000 civil servants and you know a bit more. it's implausible that the secretary of state for defense should know all of them and 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 know what they're doing day to day i mean you know i was a civil servant in the ministry of defense and and i can tell you, you that with all sorts didn't you my line manager didn't know what i was doing from day to day let alone the minister but you know so there's the issue i think we have a we have drawn a distinction um, in the Constitution and in general between responsibility and blame. And whether or not that's a good idea might be something we want to discuss. But before we do, I thought it'd be interesting just to cover recent scandals, to, to ask the question, whose fault are they? Are they the fault of the minister or are they the fault of uh, the department working for them? So I, I gathered, I, I, I hoovered up a list of... Oh, a list of scandals from Wikipedia since 1990, um, political scandals in the UK. Cool. And there are about 50 of them. Good Lord. They range from the arms to Iraq scandal. You remember that one? The the David Meller sex scandal in the yeah. the old, you know, pre, do you remember Michael Mates, Azul Nadir and the famous watch? Oh, that, that, anyway, that was the beginning of the sample. And then at the end, we have Cambridge Analytica, the Jeremy Hunt property uh, scandal jeremy hunt appears twice in this list by the way um and and the windrush scandal and 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 uh, so they're the, they're the more recent ones who how what and i've i've i think it's fairly clear in most cases whether it's is it the minister doing something wrong or is it the department cocking something up uh what do you think um the percentages so the percentage of these that are ministerial personal failings versus departmental cock-ups 
So I'm going to take a stab, yeah. and then you as well, Chris. I'm going yeah. to say 10% are going to be the minister. And Chris? Yeah, well, I, I think there will be a number which will be them being involved in a personal scandal, so being found on, you know, wandering around Clapham Common at 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, and then I... Ron Davis? Yeah, yes. Uh, and what was that? was Ron Davis, the Welsh minister. Yeah, the Welsh minister, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then I think there are going to be some where it is... It's going to be very difficult to say, like Windrush, you know, there was definitely a... It, it wasn't an individual ministerial push, but, you know, there was this whole business about having inadvertently misled the House and and it was no doubt government policy to put the screws on on immigration. But mm. was it Home Secretary's fault? Mm. You know, difficult to say. So I'm going to I'm going to say I reckon maybe more like 20 ish percent of them ministerial faults. Get ready. 90 percent of them. Right. Are <laughs> ministerial, are the individual. So so if I just I mean, just whizzing through, I'm gonna just pick a few cash for questions, MPs. Mm. Jonathan Aitken, corruption, uh, uh, um, um, effectively a minister. Um the uh Keith Vaz Mandelson Hinduja scandal, personal ministerial decisions. Um we mentioned Ron Davis, uh, Mark Oten and the Rent Boys minister, oh. Tessa Jowell finances, ministers, the expenses, Peter Hayne with the donations, uh, Derek Conway, cash for influence, parliamentary expenses, um, uh, Liam Fox, Adam Werity, ministerial decision, um, Falkirk candidate selection, Labour Party, um, uh, David Cameron and the deceased porcine individual. <laughs> um, uh, you know, so... What was that one? What was the David Cameron one, deceased porcine claim? What was that? The dead pig, pig gate. Oh, okay, yeah. sorry. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I guess that kind of was his. No, but it wasn't true. So, so I, I will, I will very briefly. So I can cover the ones which I think are are sort of departmental, and even some of those, I must say, are not totally um, clear. But. Um, the, fir the first one on my list was the David Kelly, the death of David Kelly, the dodgy dossier, the whole Iraq um, WMD issue. And I, I would say that there, there was political pressure, but at the same time, there was clearly departmental decision making, you know, particularly the way David Kelly was treated by the MOD. I won't name names, although I could. Uh, and um, uh, so that that was one way, you know, it's not clearly the min a minister's fault. It's not a political decision. Um, Beverly Hughes. She was uh, forced to resign um, because she'd been told of procedural improprieties about the way that visas were were granted to certain categories of workers in Eastern Europe. But she claimed that she hadn't been told about them. So it was a departmental cock up. But she was she she had to resign in the end because she claimed not to know about it when she did. Um, I, the other ones would be uh, the Iraq, in, so the Iraq inquiry, similar to David Kelly, but a bit wider issue. Um, the contaminated blood scandal, 2017, which I didn't know about actually. The renewable heat incentives uh, issue in 2017, uh, and the Windrush scandal. And I, I think because the, if you had to name a scandal from the last five years, most people would think of the Windrush scandal, just like you two did. I think we might, we you might be tempted to think that's a typical scandal, but it's not. Most scandals are a minister having sex with someone they shouldn't mm. or, or or taking money for something that they shouldn't be yeah. taking money for and I, I, I and i think i think that you know often often they become scandals because the minister ends up resigning 
which suggests that, you know, it's a loaded sample, right? Because there are other things which probably don't get into the, the like, like, for example, when the MOD spent hundreds of millions of pounds on effectively sort of messing up their, their aircraft for the aircraft carrier sort of procurement, you know, it was a really expensive um, decision that, that wasn't, you know, it wasn't obviously erroneous and pointable to to any person but it was a big thing and it you know got a lot of pressure but nobody had to resign about it because mm. it wasn't a scandal if, if you you know if you're found sort of um granting favor to an associate or something the reason that becomes a scandal is because it's so obviously your fault and it builds up a big a big thing but ones where the blame isn't so concentrated obviously concentrated they don't they they don't count as scandals i suppose they're just you know a sign of government incompetence i, I think that's definitely true and, and i mean you know a lot of the problems with things that go wrong uh with departments are things which are just yeah botched procurement and overspends and those kinds of things which um you know are so common as to not be worth even writing down in a list um but but, a- but but again they're, they're not I, I mean yeah so sorry fraser yeah, no, quick question. I mean, part of the issue here, isn't it, that um, is politics by its very nature is a very public um, um, enterprise. And secondly, the kind of people who go into politics, um, I think I, I think one of the issues that happens is that um, something awful happens and the initial reaction always seems to be, no, 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 it's all fine, it's all fine, there's no, I wouldn't possibly. And then you just get on this slippery slope to, um, to um, ignominy essentially mm. and isn't it to do with the nature of politicians or am i or am i, am I just well, sort of being yeah I, th- I think you might be on to something there because um this notion of individual ministerial responsibility is effectively because it's part of the british constitution it is um unenforceable and so it relies on a sense of honor right um so if you look at um there's your uh, problem yeah, there's your problem. So if you look, but if you look at famous cases of resignations or off-tendered resignations that um, have been considered uh, honourable, you know, like so, if you look at uh, John Knott and um, Lord Carrington around the um, the Falklands War, you know, I mean, they couldn't have, po- they weren't General Gautieri, they couldn't have possibly known that, you know, they might have, they might have had some probability assessment about all of that happening. But, you know, um, John Knott, you know, it, the reason he was under pressure was because he'd kind of cut funding during a, during an economic recession, you know, for, for the military. Well, you know, that, that's money that would have been, could have been spent on hospitals or something. And so, you know, some minister for, for health would have been sat there saying, oh, sorry, I didn't, you know, pay for the hospitals. Now I've got to resign because we spent them on, you know, um, uh, naval frigates or something. So, but those, you know, those two tendered resignations were were based on departmental activity and maybe a bit of mishandling, certainly in the case of the the, the Foreign Office um, of of the policy by, you know, maybe at ministerial level. But they they were, you know, um, basically they didn't have to they didn't have to resign even based on the um, uh, individual ministerial responsibility. But but they did. Um, and there's, there's the other case of um, Estelle Morris, who who famously resigned as Education Secretary. Um, oh. Gavin, Gavin, Gavin Williamson, take uh, take note. Take note. Um, 
for uh, a um, a kind of exam marking scandal. They were struggling to vet the 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 um, the markers, and and she 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 basically her her quote was she um, she felt she'd been s- sort of second best, and that she had to be honest with herself, um, and and offered her resignation and effectively resigned. And so those are you know fairly recent examples of honorable resignations where yeah. arguably you'd say hang on a minute you know that you're definitely not personally culpable for what's what's going on there um yeah in fact the most honorable man ever to have been in government was peter mendelson who of course resigned from the cabinet twice right sorry just I, before we get off i just wanted to say actually it's been interesting that in recent years and this may be nothing more than circumstances, but there's a definite trend towards more resignations, which is surprising because I think I would feel that, um, you know, ministers are more likely to be sticky and, and, and try and worm their way out of resigning. But actually, if you look at how long it takes a, a, a government to get to, um, uh, say, 10, 10 resignations, it took Margaret Thatcher about five or six years to get to 10 resignations. Same with Cameron. Um, Tony Blair was at his 10th res- resignation um, by uh, by le- fewer than three years. Gordon Brown, um, two years. And uh, Tr- Theresa May, slightly less. And in fact, tr- so Margaret Thatcher, over the whole course of her 11 and something um, year uh, tenure, uh, had... Um, about 20 24 25 resignations Theresa may reached that in two and a half years and and has had i think certainly in recent history since at least the 1970s the most resignations of any of any prime minister about 35 in an incredibly short space of time now admittedly a lot of that was sort of people resigning on principle over brexit type stuff but um but no, nevertheless, it you know the rate of resignations has gradually increased. Um, does that mean they're more honourable, or that government departments are more concerned about looking like they're doing something? I don't know. Mm. Listen, I've got a quick question. We, we 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 need to sort of wrap up fairly soon, but I've got a question, and then I've got another question after that. But it strikes me that two things. First of all, um, if we think about civil servants, and if we think about politicians, and if we think about what personality types they might have, I don't know if that's a good way to think of it or not. Um, but it strikes me that politicians and civil servants must be about as different as you can get, I would have thought. Um, I mean, my in my mind, civil servants are quite sort of dry, methodical, um, maybe not massively dynamic, uh, but essentially hardworking, honest, that kind of thing. OK, whereas politicians, you know, in the in we, you know, we talked about sort of. Um, quite, can be quite flamboyant. Yeah, I've got a hypothesis. I, I, I can see where you're going. And I, and I, well, and I sorry. Well, what, I mean, let's see, because what I wanted to ask is, of course, you're both former civil servants. And I was just curious, actually, to get a bit of gossip, not individual gossip, but what is the view amongst civil servants of politicians? Because you often hear from politicians moaning about civil servants. Um, yeah, well, here's what, my... Do you just think, they're all, is there a general view that there is a bunch of, you know, of chances? I'll get yeah, to that in a sec. On. I just want to touch on your first point about personality types. I think that's a valid observation. And 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 I my kind of if I had to think of a sort of absolutely archetypical combination of a politician 
and a senior civil servant, PUS, someone like that. Mm. They would be very, very similar, except that the civil servant would be the introvert version. They would be the okay. mastermind type, whereas the politician might be more of the field field marshal type. Right. But I think they generally there's a similarity in terms of um, probably being quite sort of uh, intelligent, being quite, um, uh, uh, you know, being capable of absorbing lots of information at the same time, uh, probably being quite analytical. I think most politicians are, are like that, you know, but I but I think it's that probably the key the key caricature difference would be that kind of extroversion versus introversion that if you're if if you like the limelight you, you civil service is not the job for you um now i, yeah. I so just in to answer your second question and I, and I have to say this is not i was not a very good civil servant i'm not made to be a civil servant um uh but just thinking about what other people that obviously civil servants always moan about politicians because they have sort of lepidopteran whims and you know they, they, oh butterfly like you know okay. so they're, they're sort of you know oh what's the minister suddenly get they've got a visit to scotland so suddenly we're all working on you know minister you know ministry of defense spending in scotland when we should be doing something else they're, everyone thinks they're very short-termist everyone thinks they're sort of um, driven by political rather than fundamentally important things um all of which is you know a fair character characterizations but of course um you know politicians see it the see the problems the other way around of you know the civil service being uh, too obsessed with sort of or not not you know not really caring about the things that are really important and of course politicians unlike civil servants are appointed by the people and see themselves as representing the people and that's what politics is. The things that civil servants complain about, oh, this guy's being really political. Um, politicians, quite rightly, would think, yes, but that's not it's not just like party politics. What it is is a manifesto that I was elected to to carry out. And and um and I think that but I think it's a it's a really, really good relationship. I think it's a there's a lot of dynamism. I would hate it if, you know, they always agreed. It would be terrible if civil servants and politicians just agreed with each other. It works really well because of those those differences. You know, that civil servants are essentially how do we execute things in a way that is nice and smooth and, um, you know, well justified and that we can account for the way we're spending public money. And politicians are like, we need to get stuff done, you know. And, yeah, I, and I think that's a good combo. I, mean, I must admit, as much as I, you know, I have sort of like a lot of people, a general distaste for politicians. If I was to sit down for dinner and say, and given choice, do you want to sit down with a bunch of politicians or a bunch of civil servants? <laughs> Apologies, guys. I would probably say the politicians, if nothing else, be a bit fun. I, I would have thought. Yeah. Uh, I th Chris? Yeah, I, well, I, th I think the, um, the perceptions of the, of the civil service change the more remote you become from, from ministers. So I think people doing sort of, analytical posts where you are maybe do, working on long-term projects and you're removed from the cut and thrust of, uh, you know, the private office. I think there is very much that view of why why do they keep changing the policy all the time? We, we, we've done the analysis. We know what the right thing is. Let's just execute this. So there's this sense that um, the, the data, you know, it's almost like being driven by the science, right, which we hear a lot at, at the moment, but the, the data sort of de should determine what, what gets done, not the whims of the public, you know, so I think you get that, that side of things. But I think as people get closer into working in the private office, you start to see um, the, uh, the, dy the dynamics and, and that they operate under and their 
um, you know, what politicians are optimizing against, right? And that is two things. It is, you know, public opinion and their accountability to public opinion, which obviously changes quite dynamically. Um, but also it is that it is that small um, uh, or, or it, is, it is that party politics because their their incentives are driven by patronage from, you know, from the top, from the prime minister and, and, and down and uh, kind of making sure that they are um, serving their their um, master in that that way. You know, they've got two bosses. They've got the kind of the people, but principally they've got the, the, the prime minister or their, you know, their secretary of state or whatever, if they're, they're a junior minister. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's... Um, you you then start to understand those dynamics and you realize that actually the success of a minister is not not driven by their effectiveness in the department that is a, that is a fairly minor driver of you know as long as they don't cock things up it's about um you know uh, the the extent to which they um you know are are driving forward a a, a policy and achieving the things civil servants want is not their success criteria that's not what they're optimizing against okay um we need to to wind things up um before we do is there any any i, I just want yeah i just did a couple of things well, well the main one being that you know I, I mentioned at the beginning the sort of distinction between blame and responsibility and i think um you, you know it is let's not forget that that's a useful that's how delegation works you know it's not yeah if you say to someone look we're going to hold you responsible for for things going okay that the point is that that incentivizes them to try and make sure they do go okay even though it might be the case that when something goes wrong it's not in some sense their fault so so i just wanted to say it's not it's not kind of a weird rule ministerial no, responsibility no, it has a make, very good kind of game theoretical yeah. foundation no, right. as a solution I, to the principal agent problem you know yeah i think i think it's um it's almost like the um the evolutionary uh, strategy of um, autophysis, where um, where sort of largely ants and termites um, destroy themselves to sort of protect the the colony, and I think there's a there's an element with individual ministerial responsibility where you need your leader to effectively lash themselves to to the policy and become personally attached to it because it's that level of commitment that means people buy into it increases the the success of or, or the chances of it being successful because they are utterly committed to it and they have to be seen to be utterly committed to it and then others will 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 follow and so when that goes wrong you need that kind of um you can't then detach the person from and say oh actually i didn't really care about that thing and i i you know those weren't really the decisions i wanted to make these are the ones i really wanted to make they they've lost all credibility so you need that that um you know it's like the captain of the ship they have to go they have to go down with it if it's um if it's sinking um nick was there another point or you're done uh no not really i i, I was just going to i was going to delve into the philosophy of 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 blame and causation and how it's actually a bit incoherent anyway but i think we haven't got time for that yeah um, but there is a question i want to ask um who is your favorite worst minister okay who's your best worst minister um have a think about that do you remember jonathan aitkin i do the sort of absolute pay he was a fantastic sort of uh it really he serves as a kind of um 
salutary tale. He, he's a he's a one man Greek tragedy, and he was he, if you had to pick someone symbolic of the of the sort of nineteen nineties John Major sleaze. Uh, the whole what was so great about that whole era was that John Major had had decided really kind of gone for this back to basics uh, was the slogan of kind of you know going back to good old fashioned honourable politics and and away from all of this horrible kind of you know um, political nonsense and. Um, it was full of sleaze. There was just scandal after scandal that whole era. It was great. But Jonathan Aiken was my favourite um, because he, um, it's a bit involved, but he was, um, when he was the Chief Secretary of the Treasury, um, it, it was to do with whether or not he had uh, dealt with the Saudis in a way that was sort of corrupt and uh, whether he'd taken money from them to do various things and the guardian reported that you know on on this this scandal and and he then um you know was he he held this press conference where he said if it falls to me to start a fight to cut out the cancer of bent and twisted journalism in our country with the simple sword of truth and the trusty shield of british fair play so be it i am ready for the fight it was so grandiose and um and of course he was guilty as hell and he was ultimately imprisoned. Yeah. It was beautiful, and uh, yeah, and and I mean, to be fair, I think he has gone on a long road of, of penance, and um, has um, uh, you know has um, He's now massively into prison reform. Has sort of turned, he turned himself around. I mean, he's he, yeah. I think I don't think he's he he certainly uh, you know has has um, has. Uh, yeah, sorry, I've petered out, but that's yeah. I, I like I, I liked it because it it had a really good narrative to it. You know, this kind of corrupt uh, scumbag, really sort of trying to claim that he was doing this great honourable fight and then losing. It was, it was yeah, wonderful. It's that, like, dra- grand eloquent sort of yeah. pomposity, self righteousness. It's just wonderful. About yeah, it, but if you're gonna if you're gonna go for it, you should you should really brass neck it, shouldn't you? Uh, that's yeah. you know he was all he was all in at that point, wasn't he? So uh, yeah, so, yeah. I, th- I think mine is. Um, is probably a, a, a bit more earnest, really, um, in that it, it, it's Neville Chamberlain as as Prime Minister, um, because I think he he gets an enormously hard rap historically, right, um, for you know uh, the policy of appeasement and and uh, and so on, and I think if you actually look back at him and the decisions he made, um, I think they were probably mostly the right decisions right i mean you know at no point was the uk going to going to sort of unilaterally declare war on germany or or indeed you know put themselves at, at risk of having to do so un, unnecessarily so appeasement had to kind of you had to kind of go through appeasement in order to to you know take churchill's position and and so i i think but it shows that even though I think the decisions he, were ma- he was making with the information he had at the time were the right ones, at the point at which you realize they're the wrong ones, the person themselves has to go because, you know, that, that's just the way that the systems work. He could not have credibly, in fact, didn't credibly try and mount a, a sort of, you know, um, wartime government. I and think was, he was quite a good lord. He was a very thoughtful and uh and you know he he worked very i thought he was yeah he's very good after his life in politics but the the Hold on, he died about... not long after his life in politics he died of cancer just yeah. months after did he yeah i yeah, think yeah. he might be thinking of someone else hang on a minute 
while you check that out, Chris, you make a good point because actually he's popularly perceived as being a failure and not, you know, because also Churchill comes next and Churchill's meant to be this wonderful, you know, great white hero. But um, first of all, as you say, it, but first of all, no one, everyone desperately wanted to avoid a, a war. Okay, because of what you know, because of the, the of the Great War, no one wanted that. Mm. Yeah, so you're right, and so he was pursuing a policy that was popular. One, two, interesting little fact. I think he was Chancellor of the Exchequer or Ministry of Minister of Defense in in the mid 30s, and he championed the cause of developing Spitfire. Uh, sorry, developing fighter planes. Okay, and so the Spitfire uh, project is largely down to him that he sort of provided funding for that, and also radar. Okay. And you know who opposed them? Because they wanted to spend money on, I think, ships and also, but mainly bombers, was Churchill. So the irony of it is that when Churchill was in place, the 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 the, the two tools that you know that served us well in in the Battle of Britain were precisely what Chamberlain had developed. Um, Nick, anyway, you're absolutely right. Uh, I was thinking of Anthony Eden. I think so. You can scrub that whole bit out. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, um, okay, I don't really have one because I, I quite like all these sleazy Tories from the '90s, and each time I think of one, I, I just it just it just makes my skin crawl. I can't bear, I can't bring myself to say that someone like David Mello is my favourite. What about Jeffrey um, Archer? Jeffrey I've, I've got him here. He's, He's out there as well. Yeah. yeah, Jeffrey Archer. And what was the name of the Cash for Questions guy? Him with the weird wife? Um, oh, I can see them. The pair of them. Yeah, Hamilton. 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 That's it. What's his first name? Neil, Neil, Hamilton. Neil, Hamilton. Neil and Christine Hamilton. Yeah. Just awful people. There we go. Yeah, um, yeah. I do have one final quote to read to you, Gordon Brown. Okay. Um, uh, one, of, one of a few scandals uh, to rock the Gordon Brown administration, um, where he, uh, he sort of was being interviewed by the press and he said, I take full responsibility for what happens. And that's why the person who was responsible went immediately. <laughs> brilliant i like it i we'll like link it. to a clip of that because it's yeah. so wonderful yeah. okay uh, we'll stop there um before we finish a bit of housekeeping um just to say um we want you to contact us if you've got any comments on 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 the podcast or if especially if you've got any suggestions about topics you'd like to cover us um that you'd like us to cover and that's uh, you can contact us by email at podcast lfinsights.com and also if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast please do leave us a review wherever you get it from and uh, that helps others to find it as well thank you for listening we've been here with nick here and chris rag of lf insights i'm fraser McGrath. thanks until next time bye-bye mm-hmm.